CBHDD is reminding people that the Georgia Crisis and Access Line can help those worried about opioid and stimulant misuse. The toll-free number is online and is active 24-7. More information at opioidresponse.info. Welcome to the new Georgia Today podcast from GPB News. Today is Wednesday, January 18th. I'm Peter Biello. On today's episode, the Secretary of State says Georgia needs more money to run its high-profile elections. Police say speeding contributed to the car crash that killed a Georgia football player and recruiting analyst last weekend, and Atlanta United's biggest star is heading south. These stories and more are coming up on this edition of Georgia Today. Athens Clark County police say excessive speed was the primary cause of the car crash that killed Georgia football player Devin Willick and recruiting analyst Chandler LaCroix this weekend. Bulldogs player Warren McClendon and staffer Victoria Bulls were also in the car. McClendon sustained minor injuries, and Bowles was hospitalized with serious injuries. Funeral services for Chandler LaCroix are scheduled for this afternoon at First Baptist Church of Tacoa. The UGA football team and staff will serve as honorary pallbearers. Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger told lawmakers today that Georgia's high-profile elections means his office needs more money in the budget. At the joint appropriations hearing, he said one example is upgrading battery backups for the state's voting machines. The current UPS is a lead-based battery. It's robust. It also weighs 80 pounds. Our average poll worker has an age of over 65 years old, and it's a burden. Raffensperger also asked for money to hire more elections investigators and fund data plans for the tablets used to check in voters on Election Day. One of the three men who killed Maude Arbery has been transferred to a state medical prison in Augusta. Gregory McMichael and two others were convicted in the racially motivated fatal shooting nearly three years ago. He has been incarcerated at a state prison near Jackson. The Georgia Department of Corrections now lists his location as the Augusta State Medical Prison. It's unclear why he was transferred, but in a court filing before his sentencing, his attorney said he suffered from various medical conditions. Atlanta United is parting ways with its star striker, Joseph Martinez. The team said this morning that Martinez has been released from the club and is transferring to Inter-Miami. The move was expected given his struggles last season under coach Gonzalo Pineda. Sports writer Sidney Hunter of Dirty South Soccer says it's still a blow to Atlanta sports. He's meant a lot to Atlanta United, and not just to Atlanta United, but to Atlanta sports as a whole. A lot of people that really weren't into soccer maybe were drawn in due to Joseph Martinez's personality. Atlanta's passionate soccer fan base adopted as one of their own, the Venezuelan who led United to three stellar seasons, including a Major League Soccer Championship in 2018. In a statement, the team's technical director, Carlos Bocanega, said, quote, he will always be part of Atlanta United, and we wish him the best of luck in his future endeavors. Savannah area community leaders are preparing to welcome new neighbors from South Korea. With construction underway at a massive Hyundai electric vehicle manufacturing plant in nearby Bryan County, a series of seminars this week is aimed at learning more about South Korean culture. Savannah World Trade Center President Trip Tollison says the project's long-term success requires cultural awareness and sensitivity. And what we're trying to do is present our community in the most positive light uh, that we can for our friends coming over from South Korea. And it's not just for their workers, it's for the family, too. So all the spouses that are here, their children, 
The Hyundai plant, scheduled to open in two years, promises 8,000 jobs, the vast majority of which will be filled locally. The seminars will cover language and cultural differences to help locals better navigate a region becoming more international. Georgia got its newest rage room last year. Also called smash rooms or anger rooms, these businesses offer safe spaces to physically vent. But do they actually improve mental health? GPB's Orlando Montoya reports. As soon as I hit it, it's gone. It was, it was gone either way. I'm going to get out of your way. It's 9 o'clock on a Friday evening, and Ansley and John Sikowski have come to a business called Outrage in Kennesaw, north of Atlanta. Inside a room with cinder block walls and a heavy metal soundtrack, they wield crowbars, bats, and an eight-pound sledgehammer to break plates, glassware, and junk electronics. They wear safety goggles and gloves, and after a while, they start panting. It's a bit of a workout to smash so much stuff. Ansley says she doesn't have rage so much as the normal stress of a stay-at-home mom. I think it'd be, definitely be a fun mom's night out. I could see mom's... <laughs> with that breaking plates not having to worry about them being broken other customers come in with more specific emotions to deal with isabella and gary story say they're letting out a bit of pandemic era frustration gary bought the session for his wife as an anniversary gift she works uh, at a pharmacy so she deals with the public every single day it has for the past what three years uh yeah. going through covid and everything so on the front line so having to release a little Stress is a good thing. You just think about things that upset you that you've got to like suck down in regular world and just let it out. Rage Room owner Kevin Torsell says customers open up to him about problems at work, difficult family members, and other personal traumas. So like deaths in the family, and a lot of times what they do is they come in with like their grandma's old china, and they get to break their grandma's old china. So on the china, they'll write down, oh, I miss my grandma because of this, or I love my grandma, rest in peace, grandma. And then you get to break those stuff, um, and it's just kind of a way to say, oh, I'm letting that go. Torsell sees his Rage Room as both a business and a mission. He credits smashing plates with helping him deal with anger management issues stemming from his relationship to his father. Writing on a plate, breaking it, it was able to help me because I took a picture of that plate because I knew I was going to break it and I used to show my mom. So my mom used to know how I was feeling. There's little research on the therapeutic benefits of rage rooms, axe throwing, or other such businesses. Licensed clinical therapist Ruben Darku runs an anger management clinic north of Atlanta. He says rage rooms may work as a fun night out, but aren't good as a long-term solution to serious problems. If it is for fun, absolutely. It's okay, go have fun there. It has to be combined. If you have anger issues, it has to be combined with uh, you know, seeing a therapist to address the root cause of you know, those uh, behaviors. Georgia's newest rage room opened in Savannah last year. There's another one in Carrollton. In recent years, rage rooms have been a growing national trend. At Outrage, customers pay $90 for 20-minute sessions. Outrage customers smash about two tons of material every week. Stuff Torso gets on the cheap from junk haulers. For example, when you bust a microwave open or an old dryer, there's motors in them, there's copper that they can't really access or they don't have time to get to. So we actually put everything separated for them. So when they come get them, all they have to do is take all the scrap with them and then it's a win-win situation. It's like... They're going to break it anyway, so might as well let you break it. Correct. He says he follows federal safety rules about what can and cannot be smashed up. 
Things like older non-flat screen TVs and the toxic toner in printers aren't allowed. Dorsal says his two-year-old business is so good that he plans to leave his suburban location and expand it in higher rent Atlanta. For GPB News, I'm Orlando Montoya. Getting solar panels installed on your home can decrease your carbon footprint, but it can be expensive. One way to lower that cost is by selling some of the excess power generated by those panels back to the grid. That's called net metering. But there are limits on how much you can be paid for that electricity. And recently, clean energy advocates were disappointed by the Public Service Commission's regulatory decisions for net metering for the coming year. Joining me now is one of those advocates. Dr. Marilyn A. Brown is a professor of sustainable systems in the School of Public Policy at Georgia Tech. So you were advocating recently for Georgia Power to pay people who generate electricity at home the same price per kilowatt as Georgia Power charges its customers. But that did not happen. Can you tell us what happened instead? What happened is that the uh, commission elected to settle on a value for the buyback rate of 6.68 cents per kilowatt hour, which is kind of halfway between the old buyback rate, 2.3 cents per kilowatt hour, and the current retail rate of perhaps 13 cents per kilowatt hour. So they settled on a kind of an in-between middle of the road approach because I think that they were not certain and had to compromise. I see. So a little better than what it was previously, but not as good as you'd like it to be. And you're saying it's a little disappointing in part because if people who put solar panels in their home get more money for the excess power that they generate, more than Georgia Power is currently planning to pay, more people might decide to install solar panels, which would reduce the state's overall greenhouse gas emissions. That's correct. So the cost of solar systems has been coming down exponentially, actually. It's been a great success story, but it's still costly. You have to pay some tens of thousands, or 10,000, let's say, maybe, um, and you have to pay it back from savings, uh, from selling power to Georgia Power is cut in half, then it's going to take you much, much longer to pay off the upfront capital cost. Is the Public Service Commission's decision on this indicative of the state's push overall for a focus on larger solar rather than individual homeowners putting it somewhere on their property? I think so, because the uh, rate of return on investments by the Georgia Power Company or other utilities get a pretty good return when it's a utility-scale solar farm. But when the individual homeowner is using their capital and they're getting the payback, the power company doesn't get the same rate of return. So there's a differential. They're not as motivated to help us as homeowners. While we're talking about money, let's talk about other incentives. The Inflation Reduction Act has some subsidies for solar installations, some tax credits. How strong are those when it comes to incentivizing homeowners to install solar panels? Yeah, they're uh, 30% investment tax credit. But that uh, investment tax credit has been around since the year 2005. And it has not driven solar into the marketplace on rooftops in Georgia. It's positive, it's important, I'm glad we have it. It might make a difference for middle and upper middle homeowners, but it doesn't enable those who are resource constrained to justify 
um, the purchase of solar on their homes. These rates won't be revisited again for another three years. And you've said that, you know, there's there's missing data here that would make the case stronger, data that would show to the regulators that, that people who have solar panels actually cost utilities less to serve. In between now and the next time these rates are evaluated, will advocates, uh, scientists, people who study solar be collecting data on how much it costs for people with solar in Georgia to be served by entities like Georgia Power? I don't think that the public advocates will be doing that. I think that Georgia Power will be encouraged to do that. They're really in the best position with data on their own customers. That's what you need. We can't do it from afar, you know, as analysts sitting in our offices. We need the data. So I think they'll be encouraged to do that. I'm optimistic. We pointed out this uh, gap, and I believe that uh, it'll it'll be filled. I'm hopeful. Well, Dr. Marilyn A. Brown is a professor of sustainable systems in the School of Public Policy at Georgia Tech. Thank you so much for speaking with me. Thank you. The NFL has directed the Kansas City Chiefs and Buffalo Bills to begin selling tickets for a possible AFC Championship game in Atlanta. The game would be played at Mercedes-Benz Stadium if both teams win in the divisional round this weekend. If either loses, the game would be hosted by the higher-seeded team. The top-seeded Chiefs are hosting Jacksonville, while the number 2 seed Bills are facing Cincinnati. The NFL mandated a neutral site after the January 2nd game between the Bengals and the Bills was canceled after Buffalo's safety DeMar Hamlin suffered cardiac arrest and had to be resuscitated on the field. And that is it for today's edition of Georgia Today. Listening to this podcast once is great. Listening every weekday afternoon is even better. So go ahead and hit subscribe. That way we will pop up in your podcast feed tomorrow. Got feedback? If so, we'd love to hear it. Send us an email. The address is georgiatoday at gpb.org. I'm Peter Biello. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.